Uh, a warm welcome to you this morning uh, here to the Project Church. Uh, we love Jesus and, uh, and are committed to meeting together uh, weekly to honour Him with His Word uh, and in His Word and, and growing in that. Uh, my name's Matt, uh, one of the leaders here. Uh, I started last week a series. Uh, just by the way, I don't normally provide an introduction, so a little special treat for you this week. Uh, I started a series uh, last week um, just called The Grey Areas of Faith. Uh, I think there's um, particular parts of faith uh, that we don't often have a very clear picture of. Uh, so when we stop uh, and examine them, uh, we're only able to produce at times a simplistic response. Uh, so there's uh, areas that I think, uh, like last week for example, we talked about doubt um, and how it can be at times the case uh, where we say to one another, uh, when, when we're faced with doubts, when we present doubts to one another, we say to each other, well don't worry, just have faith. When there, is, uh, when there is so much more going on behind the scenes that needs to be responded to and considered uh, that we often just shy away from um, because it's a bit of a grey area. We're just not really sure. What do we do with doubt? So if you weren't here last week, uh, it would be helpful to have a listen to that uh, and uh, to just to consider the, the angle or the approach that we're coming from. Uh, and uh, this week we're going to push on with that series, just to give you a little bit of context. So we're thinking about the grey areas of faith, the things that we often uh, just sort of put to the side and don't resolve that well or that thoughtfully. So uh, this week we're going to talk about desire. What do we do with desire? So, uh, desire is a, uh, is a powerful force. It can do a great amount of good and it can do a great amount of harm. When you think about uh, uh, the pain uh, that you might feel at times or the tensions that exist in your life, uh, relationally uh, or, 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 or not, a lot of them are, are fueled by desire uh, or, or amplified by desire. Let's, let's just begin this morning by considering the world that we see in between YouTube and uh, sports broadcasting and lifestyle articles that I like to call Advertising, right? Like advertising is a great place to start this morning. One of the, one of the primary goals within uh, advertising is to create perceived value, okay? So, so what you're trying to do as an advertiser is to take a um, company or a brand or a product or a service and communicate it in such a way that after someone sees that or engages with that, they, uh, they have a higher regard for that product, right, or brand, right? So the value that they attribute to that thing is increased because of what they've seen. Um, and how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you increase value for something? Well, a lot of the time, uh, you appeal to desire. So j- just think about it, right? This is, this is right in front of us, and most of the time we know this, um, we just don't often uh, connect the dots. Want to be uh, safe and stylish? Well, drive a Volvo, like that's, that's how you do it. If, if I have a desire to be safe uh, and, and also to, to be stylish and to fit into a particular niche, I just need to drive a Volvo. That's, it's obvious, right? That's the thing that I need to do. Uh, Want to take the break that you deserve or eat a Kit Kat? Like how easy is that, right? Like all I needed to do, I had all these problems, I had all these desires and I, I needed this, I needed to have a break and I, this whole time. I could have just eaten a Kit Kat. Want to be wildly attractive and have women chase you down the street? 
Well, we all know this one. It's just you just need to wear links. Like, how easy is it? Like, that's all that you need to do. In the morning, you get up. You don't have to shower. You don't have to be even half presentable. Um, you just need to spray deodorant, a particular type of deodorant. Uh, I want people to think that you're worth it. You know this one? Because you're worth it. L'Oreal. Right? Like, right? You want people to think you're worth it? Just put a little bit of uh, product on your face or under your arms. I don't know what you do with it, but do something with it. And people will think that you're worth it. All right? Want to party on the beach in the afternoon with 30 or so people who think that you're incredible? That one's really easy. You just, just need to drink Coke, right? Like, what do people who drink Coke do other than party on the beach? Like, all afternoon, and the sun's setting, and they're jumping off a pontoon, right? And they're glistening. It's like, cool, man. Like, I'd, I would really like to do that. Um, so I'm going to start by going down to the corner store. Uh, now, what, like, that's the world that we live in, right? Is, is we have these desires. Everyone knows this as humans. We have these desires, and advertisers say, well, how do we sell something? We appeal to desire. And we just package it up. We, just, we, we tap into a deep personal desire, and we just rip it right out of there, and we just package it up around this product, and all of a sudden, we've got a, a great way to make money, don't we? We just need to appeal to that deep personal desire in such a way that people can't resist. That's the thing that I need. Okay? It seems that the reality around us, though, is actually a, a little bit more difficult than that. It seems that life for us as well, it's not just advertisers, right? It's not just, well, if we can stop advertising, then we'll be fine with desire. It's actually, it seems that we also buy into the reality that life is about fulfilling as many of the things that we feel as possible, right? We buy into the reality that the way that I thrive in my life, you know, the, 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 the way that I measure satisfaction or, or measure, measure success is by maximum satisfaction or maximum uh, satisfaction of the desires that I feel. The best thing that you could possibly do is to listen to what your desires are saying and to go and fulfill them or at least spend your life trying, right? The problem is that we don't, we don't always have the sight to discern whether our desires are healthy or unhealthy, do we? Right? We feel like we want these things but we don't always have the, the true sight on whether these things are good for us or whether they're killing us. We live in a world with broken desires. That's the reality for us. Uh, there was a, um, I read an article uh, a week ago or so that, about a GoFundMe campaign. Um, GoFundMe is like a donations website. So people start campaigns or causes and you donate money to them uh, and they receive money. There's not much more to it. Uh, so there was a, a GoFundMe campaign recently run by a young woman uh, who was, she'd been assisted by a homeless man after she ran out of fuel uh, in town um, and he spent... The story goes that he spent his last couple of dollars buying her some fuel and he brought it to her car for her. Uh, and she was like, wow, that's really kind. Uh, I'll start a GoFundMe campaign. And the aim was to, uh, to raise $10,000 for this homeless man who helped her. And uh, just uh, as, a, as a way to give him a, a head start, right? To give him a hand up. Uh, and the campaign went viral and it raised 400 grand. So it went out of control. And uh, she obviously wasn't expecting this. Uh, and uh, after pledging to do certain things with the money... Um, it was discovered by lawyers that the homeless man had received very little of it at all. 
and that the woman and her boyfriend had taken several substantial holidays and made reach recent purchases of significant value. Hmm, right? Like, like, we don't even really know if we can trust ourselves, can we? Because our desires are, are wayward. Now, you may not have spent a few hundred thousand dollars worth of donations intended for someone else, but you don't have to live for that long to recognize a similar pattern in your own heart. What do you really want? What do you really want? Like, if I asked you that today, what do you really want? And you were as transparent as you could be, and you just poured your heart out. Do you think you'd say the same thing tomorrow? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe in a week from now, do you think you'd say the same thing? What, what's the point? We're inconsistent. We don't really know what we want. <laughs> Children, think about this. Uh, kids, is your desire, uh, leading up to Christmas, is your desire for presents ruining the true joy of Christmas? Is your longing for gifts, is it robbing you? Right? Is it, is it or, or I don't know, parents, if you're into presents, like <laughs> the same question. If that's your thing, is, is your longing uh, for, for materials robbing you of true joy? Parents, is your desire for peace at home meaning you don't address this? Think about it. Our desires are out of control. And the worst part is that the culture that we live and breathe enthrones them. And sometimes it feels like all that we are are sailboats and we're just caught in the winds of desire. And we blow one way and we blow another. How did we get here and how do we get out of it? I want to take these, those are the only two questions I'm going to answer today, uh, and, then, uh, and then we're all going to be just fine dealing with our desires. <laughs> Good one, Matt. Uh, and, in, uh, and in the few minutes I've got left, this is a holiday service, so we generally try and keep them a bit shorter, but um, Cole set me up for a loss today, so that's fine. I'll be running in debt, and I'll pay you back next week. All right, first thing, how do we get here? And second thing, how do we get out of it? The first thing is to, um, to take a moment to understand how we got here, how we got here uh, as, as a culture, as society, and as people individually that exist within that. What's going on around us and inside of us that helps us to understand desire? Uh, one of the key pieces that we need to put on the table is something that Cole mentioned just before when he talked about community, and that is individualism. Uh, one of the main things that we need to consider and, and reflect on when the moment we enter the category of desire uh, is the contour of individualism. And, and uh, that's, uh, I've heard that referred to by someone as the sovereign self, and I think it's a very helpful title. Uh, and what that reality tells us is that each man is his own ultimate authority. Okay? How did we get here? How did we get to this point uh, where desires are out of control? Uh, one of the main things that I, I need to uh, bring to the table is that we believe that every man is his own ultimate authority. And what that says is each person has the capability within themselves of discovering the truth without divine revelation or ancient wisdom. Everyone has within themselves the ability to discover what is true. Okay? That they are, a, they are their, their own ultimate authority. And if you push this, it says that we have the power to create moral reality. Right? I can discover ultimate truth 
And that means that I actually have the power to, to create moral reality. Uh, there's a fascinating comment. Uh, it's, it's one of the closing thoughts from uh, a case, a court case in America, uh, which was Plant Parenthood versus uh, uh, Casey. That's the court case. You can actually look this up. Uh, and the court stated this. This is at the end of a, um, of a uh, uh, court case. Uh, and they said this, that the court's closing remarks were this. At the heart of liberty, so at the heart of liberty, right, the, uh, uh, freedom within society, what it looks like, sorry, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. Do you, do you understand that? What, what the court is saying, what they've resolved at the end of this case, is at the heart of liberty is the right to, to define one's own concept of existence. So what freedom within society looks like for people is that each person is free from oppressive restrictions on their behavior or their views or their perspective. And further to that, each person has the right to define their own concept of existence. Just think about how chaotic that is for a moment. Uh, like, I'm not sure if that shatters something for you, but it, it, that's terrifying. <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, and it's not just that. Now, let me just take it one step further. Uh, it's not just that we define our own existence. It's that we don't want anyone else to press in on that. Right? Like, that's the other helpful contour. Is not, it's not just that, well, I'm actually my own authority... The other thing to, that we need to recognize is that uh, I actually don't want anyone to press in on that at all. Because it's not enough for me to be my own authority, I need to actually take it further and say, well, you're not allowed to question it either. Um, and, and here a comment uh, from, uh, this is an atheist philosopher, uh, Thomas Nagel. He says this, It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there's no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. This cosmic authority problem is not a rare condition. Right? Now, what he's doing, what Nagel is revealing to us, he's revealing to us what Selena Gomez has been saying all along. Right? The heart wants what it wants. Okay? And that is a catchy tune. And it's messing with you. Okay? The essence of what he's saying is this. If you don't know Gomez, look her up. She's fantastic. That's a joke. I'm kidding. Uh, the essence of what the, the, uh, Thomas and Selena are saying is that it's not that I don't believe in God, it's that I don't want there to be one because I want to be the master of my own fate because I want to be in control. I want to be autonomous. I don't, want to, I, I don't want there to be a sovereign authority because this town ain't big enough for the two of us. Sorry. This town ain't big enough for the two of us, right? You can't just say that without saying it. So what's the next step? If, if a man is his own ultimate authority, okay, if that's, that's established, how is he to know what to do? Well, by listening to and subjecting himself to his own desires, right? If, if I am my own ultimate authority, if I uh, determine my own fate, how do I know what to do? Well, I listen to what's inside of me. My desires. I listen to my desires. So, so what we've established is that the, the modern individual, individualism, right, the culture that we live in, has moved from understanding and directing desires to 
enthroning them. Right? I'm an individual. It's my life. I'll do as I please. It's none of your business. And the way that I determine what I do is by listening to what's inside of me, listening to my desires. So they actually become, I actually enthrone them. They become the things that help me govern how I live my life. So what I feel inside of me is what rules me. Right now, now this will this will just come to life in a second. Uh, uh, as let me give you a few examples, but I hope you can grip what's happening there inside of us. Uh, listen to this for a second. We've uh, watched a little bit of the show The Island uh, with Bear Grylls. It's a great show. That, that one actually is. That's not a joke. It's a great show. He takes uh, a dozen to sixteen uh, Brits and puts them on an island for five weeks to su- survive by themselves. Uh, he just gives them a couple of knives and uh, a machete. And that's it. So they have to uh, kill their own animals and make their own food and uh, clean their own water, uh, purify their own water. Anyway, one of the island members says this uh, in a pre-show interview. They, they interview them and what are you expecting and stuff. And he says this, I'm certainly very ambitious. When I'm on the island, I'll do whatever I feel is right at the time, which most likely will be a position of leadership. All right, okay, so, but, but just, just listen to what he's saying. When I'm on the island, I'll do whatever I feel is right at the time. Hang on. Uh, what, which is it going to be? Is it going to be what you feel or is it going to be what's right? You see what he's saying? The, those two things actually contradict one another or, or can well and truly contradict one another. If it's the right decision, it's the right decision, whether you necessarily feel like it or not, Right? Okay, so uh, what's going on here, Tan? His, his name is Tan, uh, T-A-N. Yeah, you better believe it. Uh, watch season five if you don't. So what, what, cult, what the point is, is what society and culture is teaching us is that we become ourselves, we become who we fully are by asserting our individual desires against society. So, so we become who we are by expressing our desires, by, by, by expressing our feelings and fulfilling our dreams regardless of what other people say. This is me, the greatest showman, right? And I know that I deserve your love, oh, 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 because there's nothing I'm not worthy of, oh, 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 oh. When the sharpest words want to cut me down, I'm going to send a flood, going to drown them out. This is brave, this is proof, this is who I'm meant to be, this is me. Right? It sounds nice, doesn't it? Well, not when you say it like that, Matt, it doesn't. It sounds a little nicer in the song. Uh, As we've already mentioned, the problem here, right? I said this at the start. The problem is that we're inconsistent. We don't really know what we want. But what's more, and let let me uh, move through this by by saying this, uh, not only do we not know what we want, if you stop for long enough to examine this, you can't actually really derive your identity from yourself it's actually impossible you're not made to function that way as a human Um, Tim Keller uh, tells a really helpful story about this um, uh, to to provide an illustration he says imagine an Anglo-Saxon warrior in Britain in AD 800 all right so 1200 years ago an Anglo-Saxon warrior he has two very strong inner impulses and feelings one is aggression he loves to smash and destroy things and people when they show him disrespect. Living in a shame and honor culture 
with its warrior ethic, he will identify with that feeling. He'll say to himself, that's me, that's who I am, okay? I will express that. The other feeling he senses is same-sex attraction. And to that, he will say, that's not me, that's, no, that's not me. I will control and suppress that desire, okay? You understand? So Anglo-Saxon warrior, two, two feelings, right? And he identifies with one and he suppresses the other, Now imagine a young man walking around in New York. He has the two same impulses, both equally strong, both difficult to control. What will he say? He will look at the aggression and think, that is not who I want to be. And he'll go to therapy and anger management programs and seek deliverance. But he will look at his carnal desire and conclude, that is who I am. See the point? Right? He has these desires inside of himself, these two contradicting desires. And depending on the culture that he lives in, he makes a decision about which of those he really is. What does it tell us? It tells us that we don't simply uh, uh, receive and determine our identity internally. It's not possible. Right? It, it is impossible for a person to do that, to make sense of themselves purely internally you cannot be a sovereign self you cannot be autonomous it tells us that we receive an interpretive grid from outside of ourselves to help us make sense of our desires and understand who we are it tells us that we're pulling in from outside of ourselves to help us understand who we are so culture tells us like listen to the contradiction here if i bring this full circle culture culture is telling us we are our desires. You're a, you're a sovereign self. You're autonomous. That's what culture tells me. And then it actually goes on to inform us which of those desires are true. Is it a little bit ironic? Right? Like, do you see that actually there's, they don't actually mesh with each other? What's the point? What's the point here? We cannot be autonomous. Our inner depths are insufficient. We need a standard. We need a rule to guide us. Let me, um, let me just give you a couple examples and we're going to open up the word. What we need to realize is that we live in a contradiction. Let's look at it this way. Are, are there desires that shouldn't be submitted to? Yes, of course. There are, aren't there? There, there are healthy and unhealthy desires. There are right and wrong. There are things that will lead to the flourishing of society and things that will lead to the corruption. Say uh, you have a healthy desire... Uh, to live a healthy lifestyle and you want to take care of your body but at the same time you desire to eat warm cinnamon donuts drizzled with melted chocolate every morning right just to start the day I mean you can't tell me that you don't feel that desire sometimes right you boil the kettle and you're getting ready to make a nice warm drink and you can smell it and you can taste it so which are you like which are which are you going to be which are you are you the healthy person or are you the foodaholic or the cinnamonaholic? I mean, two hands up for me. I'm the donut guy, all right? Like, you, you can't be your desires. They're a contradiction, aren't they? So, so am I one or the other? Well, you, no, you're neither. You can't be your desires. What we need is, is for our desires to be filtered through an accurate grid. What, what we actually need is to have an external authority that makes sense of ourselves 
and the world. We're already doing this, right? We're already doing this as we look to other people, as we look to culture, as we look to uh, uh, authority figures. We're already doing this to try and help make sense of our lives. We just need to do it with the right grid, don't we? We're already making judgment calls and we're already discerning things like this would be good and this would be bad and this would be bad, but I'll do it anyway. We're already walking this path. All that we need to do is walk it with the right grid. Right? We need to walk down this path of navigating what we do with desire because we're already doing it. We're already walking it. A lot of us are just stumbling and tripping and dragging our legs along the road. We just need, we just need the right grid. So to us, to, the, to all of us today, to the person, to the people who wrestle with the contradiction of desire, the big question is, is there an allegiance that would be worth you sacrificing your desires for. Now, I think at, at this point, some of you would just stop me and you'd say, all right, Matt, look, it's obvious. The gospel is obvious. Deny your desire, all right? The ones that are good, pursue those. The ones that are bad, just deny them, okay? Deny them. <clears throat> Roadblock. <clears throat> you know, that's like, that's no good. And it's like, that doesn't help me when I wake up in the morning and all I can see out of both eyes is a cinnamon donut, all right? That doesn't help me, does it? Okay, now you might, you might stop me there and say, well, there's an easy answer here. After all, didn't Jesus say, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, right? Or did the psalmist say, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart? Well, what's it going to be? Well, there's, there's a few things that we need to consider here, isn't there? That's why desire... It's a gray area. And we'll find those in Jeremiah 17. If you've got a Bible, you can open up to chapter 17, verse 5. Let me read it to us. I'm just going to draw two things that we need to consider here in uh, resolving the conversation. So Jeremiah 17, the prophet is talking uh, to a rebellious people looking to other nations to deliver them and other gods to deliver them. Jeremiah 17, verse 5, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. And this is a common verse for us. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. The first thing that we need to consider here uh, is uh, found uh, right in the middle of that little phrase there, verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. And there's two things. I, I think the two things that we need to consider uh, is the activity and the means. The activity. What, what is the activity that we need to consider when we wrestle with our desires? Well, the activity is, that, is, is submission. Right? We need a new rule. We need a new grid through which to understand ourselves. And what does that mean? Instead of submitting to a, uh, an unhealthy or an incorrect 
or a uh, uh, culturally based grid, we need a new grid, right? And we need to submit uh, to God. We need an authority outside of ourselves to submit to who can help us to make sense of ourselves. God, you know better than I do. You have perfect vision. I don't. You have perfect wisdom. I don't. You have perfect consistency. Will you lead me in the way that my heart ought to go? Will you renew me? I I trust in you as my authority, even when I can't see it. The Lord of my heart. Right? So, so the first thing that we need to consider is, is that we ought to trust in the Lord when we're attempting to and wrestling with how to navigate desire. Trust in the Lord. That is the activity. Now, I think most of us will be like, yes, of course, okay? In Christ, we receive a king, the one who rules over us for our good, okay? Jesus is our brother and Jesus is our friend and Jesus is the one who intercedes for us. But Jesus is our king, okay? And... and w- Who are we to a king? We are subjects. We are in submission to. We are underneath the authority of, okay? A king rules over his people. He doesn't make suggestions, okay? He rules them. He is the final authority, okay? He says, this is what we are doing. This is what we are going to do, okay? So in Christ, we receive a king who in our submission to him reorders our desires, Okay, he makes sense of them. We have a new way of viewing the world. He gives us the law, right? He gives us the scriptures. Now, it makes sense that if the Christian faith is one born through the work of Christ, the Christian desire is likewise renewed through the strength of Christ. Uh, let, me, um, let me give you an example. Can I have a, uh, a, s- a small child? Can you give me a hand for a sec? Who's it going to be? Squeak, squeak. Oh, here we go. Hey, buddy. <laughs> this is great. This is, this is perfect, actually. Uh, what's your boy's name again? Nothing? Uh, Xavier. Xavier. How you doing, buddy? All right. So let me, um, let, me, let me just give you an illustration here, right? Now, if this child uh, wanted to get past me, I wanted to get, like, uh, if I was an obstacle for this child, uh, is this child able to do it? All right, so, so this, this Xavier's right here. Uh, Xavier, do you want to walk past me, buddy? Do you want to try and walk past me? No. Oh, I'm a, yeah, that's right, because I'm a bit big, aren't I? Yeah. Are you going to try and walk past me? Can you get around me? No. There is no way that he's getting around me, all right? I've got like the arms of an octopus and I'm, I'm a little bit stronger than him. I'm a lot stronger than him. Hey, oh, gotcha. See? Okay, now if this is a small child, there's no way that he's getting, there's no way that he can overcome me. Okay? Now if his father picks him up and if I say, Xavier, can you get around me now? And, and together, they get around me. Right? And I'll, I'll resist them. And... And I'll try, right? But he's, he's getting around me. Now, now, the point is this. Did Xavier get around me? Yes. He did. Okay? Does it matter that someone helped him? Because Xavier was able to overcome me, wasn't he? Yeah, that's right. Okay? So Xavier, uh, uh, wrestling against me, 
right? Wrestling against an obstacle is unable to do it by himself. But when Xavier has someone like his father and, and he is walking with his father, he's able to overcome me. Thank you so much. Thanks, buddy. You missed out. <laughs> now, now think of this. They, uh, they don't feel like they have the strength. They, this child, this might be you, okay? Just put yourself into this situation for a second. You might not feel like you have the strength to overcome an obstacle or, say, a desire. I don't have what it takes to overcome this. That is too strong for me. If the boy's father holds their hand or lifts them up, who's overcoming the obstacle? Does it really matter at that point? Okay, does it really matter? (laughs) What matters is that you were able to overcome that obstacle, that Xavier was able to overcome that. So if, think about this, if humanity were designed to live and submit to the, the rule of a king, right, the rule of the one true king, does it make the child any less victorious and able to overcome to have to rely on someone else's strength? No, it doesn't. If that's the way that we were designed to live, okay, as we think about wrestling with desire, if we remember that we were designed to live inside of the strength and inside of the rule of a king, does it make you any weaker to have to depend on him to overcome desire? It doesn't. It actually makes more sense. So the first thing, how do we overcome wayward desire? Well, by trusting in the authority of someone who has perfect sight and who knows what's best for us. Renewed desires, what does it look like? Renewed desires looks like the Christian trusting and walking with the one who has perfect sight. You know what it looks like? Humility, not pride. Serving rather than being served and and others, not self. Now, most of us, most of us would get there naturally, okay? Most of us would say, well, I'm wrestling with desire. I just need to trust God. I just need to trust that His rule is perfect. Now, there's still a link missing, okay? There is still a link missing because you can tell me that that's right, but that doesn't always make it any easier to do, does it? Okay? What about when I don't want to overcome the obstacle? What if I'm just fine? Okay? What about when? What about... I'm unwilling. That is all well and good when I'm willing, when I want to overcome the obstacle, when I want to overcome that desire. But what about when I'm unwilling? Do you see the difference there? I I, I trust that you know the difference, that personally you know the huge gap between willingness and unwillingness. Because there's a whole bunch of desires that you now have or you will have that you're actually okay with. And they're killing you. And that's where it really matters. The first thing was the activity, right? What, what's the first thing we need to consider? The activity when we're wrestling with doubt. The second thing is the means. Okay? Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Well, how, how can you trust someone? How do you grow in trust for and with someone? Well, by knowing them, okay? By walking with them. How I've proved him, oh and oh. Jesus 
presses Jesus over grace to trust him more. Ultimately, we need an allegiance. We need a relationship so deep and so powerful that it frees us from our other desires. We need a relationship that is so strong that there is nothing that we would ever let come between us. Nothing we wouldn't do for it. A relationship that doesn't crush or flatten our other desires, right? Doesn't just say to suppress them, to lock them in a cupboard, but it actually makes them insignificant by comparison. You see the difference there, right? We need a relationship that doesn't just say, how dare you think like that, but is so inviting and is so gracious and is so precious to us that everything else is actually insignificant, right? That it, it's so life-giving to us. It's so much more valuable that it would mean very little for us to have to say goodbye to everything else. Goodbye to mother and father. And even goodbye to our very selves. Can you think of a relationship that is that valuable to you? Right, we can see this, can't we? We can see this all around us. And we see it ultimately in Christ. Have you tasted and seen? Have you drunk of his living water? Have you cast your cares on him? Have you wept on his shoulder? Have you denied him and still heard him call to you? Have you seen him on the cross? Have you seen the nails in his hands? Have you called out to him to rescue you and felt his strong arm? It's Jesus. Ultimately, we don't just need the rule of a king. We need the relationship of one. The only person, right? The only relationship that is valuable enough and that is deep enough and is strong enough to satisfy the very depths of our desires. So everything else is insignificant. That's what we need. We don't need to just press away and crush and flatten desires, right? Like, and I think that's what we do a lot of the time. That's what we do. How do we respond? Well, just press it over there and forget about it and just keep, like, just keep just grit, right? Grit your teeth, keep walking on. That's not what the invitation is. The invitation is to taste of someone that is so valuable to you that that's insignificant now, right? Like that, that, that is still a thing and I still feel that, but it's insignificant in comparison, okay? I'm not living in ignorance. It's not just me ignoring that that's a thing in my life. But it's insignificant. So our trust in Christ becomes both the activity of renewed desires and the means of renewed desires. I'm going to stand and I'd love to pray for us together. Yeah, Christ, would you examine our hearts? Would you help us to see we cannot see. We cannot see of ourselves with our own eyes. Uh, we are we are at times like sailboats in the wind. And we feel one thing today and we feel another tomorrow. Would you examine our hearts, Holy Spirit? Would you uh, uh, let us see 
Let us see uh, the, the mess and the good intentions uh, uh, inside of our desires, inside of the things that we long for, the things that compel us, the things that grip us, and in our trust of you, in, in our actively trusting that you are our king and that you reorder our desires and in our actively trusting that you are, you are the means, you are the way, the, the, the relationship through which we're renewed. Uh, would you make us new again? And as a church community, would we uh, not be ignorant or, or be uh, dishonest or concealed about the things that we feel? But in loving each other and in knowing each other, would we wrestle with desire? Turn to you and look to you to renew us. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I find it to be a law that when I do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ our Lord. Amen. Be blessed.